Hi, and welcome to the Trusted Executive Podcast. I'm here again with Dr. John Blakey, the founder of the Trusted Executive Foundation, which helps CEOs and leaders across all sections, sectors around the globe create a new standard of leadership defined by trustworthiness. John's work has been featured in Forbes, BBC News, HuffPost, and the Sunday Times. So welcome, John. Welcome, David. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Now, people listen to it before, they know that the idea of this podcast is to help you as listeners gain a practical understanding of the potential benefits of the trusted executive model to you through taking a deep dive with each of the nine leadership habits which underpin the model. Now, as you say in the book, John, you didn't just dream up these nine habits over a glass of red wine. They're a product of six years of evidence-based research at Aston Business School for your doctorate involving over 500 board-level leaders. And with a deep passion, you offer the business world an academically rigorous and relevant answer to the question, how do I do trust and why does it matter? So, John, from your research and its introduction for those maybe listening for the first time, why should they care about trust? And in a nutshell, what did you discover in your research? Well, trust is the one thing that changes everything, David. That's a sound bite, um, but it's a sound bite that's backed up by many years of academic research that trust has been proven to have an impact on various business outcomes, ranging from profitability to employee engagement to stress levels to creativity and innovation to customer loyalty and, and so on and so on. So trust is a magic wand. Um, And I think it's a magic wand that particularly in this day and age, the expectation on leaders and brands is that we should be aspiring to build those high trust cultures and those high trust brands in a 21st century context. Mm, Thank you, John. And and I'm, I'm hearing actually more and more talk about trust where people are looking to sort of say, which organization, or as you said, which brand can I trust at this time? Because it's where they will potentially place their business. It's perhaps where they turn to first as to, you know, can I trust this organization? Can I trust this person? Can I trust who I'm dealing with here? Yeah, I was reading a survey this week, the Edelman Trust Barometer, yeah. um, and they asked a question, 33,000 respondents, uh, what are those most important buying criteria when choosing to buy from a certain brand? And, and, and the trustworthiness of the brand is second only to price in terms of people's selection criteria for the brands that they engage with and want to build relationships with. And I, and I think, you know, what we've seen over the last 10 years, and we can expect to see more of it in the next 10 years, is that the trustworthiness of that brand and the leaders of that brand is going to be more and more in the spotlight, given the concerns of the modern day citizen. Mm, I agree. And of course, we've been working on this podcast, we're going through the various habits. And today, we're going to do a deep dive with habit number eight, choosing to be brave, which sits under the third pillar of benevolence. Now, as I, I always say, actually, I'm really drawn to the fact that each habit starts with the word choosing, which makes it very intentional for me. And I, I know you say in your work as well, you know, that the habits are something that can be worked with and trust can be developed. And I think you say actually that a habit is an accumulation of choices. So as we turn to choosing to be brave, what does this mean for you, John, and what benefits does it provide to organisations and leaders? Yeah, when we talk about each of the habits, David, um, I've often contrasted the habit of power 
uh, with the habit of trust. Because part of this change that we're experiencing is the shift from power as the currency of leadership to trust as the currency of leadership. And a lot of us have learned habits in the world of power. And what we're doing with this model is encouraging leaders to unlearn habits of power and relearn the habits of trust. And if you think about that habit of being brave, in the world of, of power, bravery typically meant uh, personal or physical bravery. It's a very heroic model of leadership. So we're thinking of the often white male leader on the white steed charging into battles, you know, shouting, follow me. Um, and, and that was the sort of stereotypical model of bravery in the world of power. Now, in the world of trust, bravery comes in a different packaging. The bravery of the world of trust is not that physical or personal bravery. It's moral bravery. What inspires trust in others is if you as a leader are seen to self-sacrifice at a certain point in the cycle in the interest of the wider good and the bigger cause. So whether that's a brand or whether that's an individual leader, it's that moral bravery that inspires trust. And that's the shift, I think, from that personal physical bravery of the world of power to the moral bravery of the world of trust. Mm. So I think you do say in the book, it's, it's around at times, perhaps as a leader or group of leaders in an organisation, taking a stand. I think you talk about sticking your neck out for the greater good. Yeah, yeah, I use that colloquialism in the, in the book. Um, it is a, an academic model, but I don't mind a little bit of <laughs> colloquialism thrown in for good measure. Yeah, sticking your neck out for the, for the wider good. And, you know, you, you asked about what are the benefits of that. Mm-hmm. The benefits of sticking your neck out for the wider good, um, other than the moral sort of benefit, you know, the moral cause. But if you look at it purely at a practical level, it's really about pioneering that people who challenge the status quo, who, who are willing to have a voice and speak up for something different and be brave to do that, then often we, we in hindsight, look at those people as pioneers. I mean, you think of Steve Jobs um, and, you know, his pioneering, um, you know, he had the bravery to offer us a product in the iPad that we didn't even know that we wanted, um, which now has brought, you know, great, um, benefit to many, many people in terms of access to, you know, information and, and all the benefits that technology brings. So, so leaders, that bravery is often associated with, with pioneering, with innovation, with, with change. And those who seize the moment to change and, and are ahead of the curve often reap the benefit in terms of a competitive advantage. So as well as the, the moral aspect of this habit, there is a very practical leadership benefit from being brave enough to take um, a risk on behalf of delivering a mission mm. and perhaps the, the difference we're seeing now john is that she said to be brave it's for a mission but it's for a mission as we have been talking that is, that is more than just for greater profit you know yeah. you, know, you talk about don't you the you know the, the triple bottom line and, and that's maybe is that the perspective we're looking at here yeah, I think that, that that shift again from, you know, the world of power was all about the single bottom line of profit, profit, profit. The world of trust is about the triple bottom line of, of results, relationships and reputation. And it's that relationships and particularly that reputation piece that this, this moral bravery um, has the most impact upon. It's interesting, we're doing this, we're recording this podcast, you know, the, the day before the England 
Denmark semi-final in the Euros. So I have to get I have to get a little football uh, example in at some point, don't I? And and but I was thinking about Gareth Southgate and and the England team. You know that I sense a, a moral bravery about this team in terms of the way they behave on the pitch and off the pitch. And I think that moral bravery that you know there is a feeling that they're in pursuit of it, the mission. The mission is to win a major tournament. And they're having to be brave. And, and you, I do pick up from the way they talk, the way they present themselves in that team, that there isn't the same um, ego about that team as, 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 as England teams of old. Um, you know, there does appear to be a willingness to self-sacrifice, a willingness to be subsume, um, you know, the individual needs to the team needs in pursuit of this mission. And, and I, I'm really inspired by the moral bravery of that uh, squad and and the, and the leadership and and I really hope they they seize the prize you know from from being brave enough to stick to the guns around uh, and stick their necks out as we know they have done on on issues both on the field and off the field. I think that is a great example, John. And I wrote a piece the other day about how I saw see you know Gareth Southgate as as a man of uh, what I call actually um, both strength and caring. But within that, I spoke about the emotional intelligence I think he brings to, to the team. And part of that is definitely bravery. If you remember, he actually speaks of, he made a decision, he took a brave decision around the team against Germany, knowing full well that, that he said he would get slated if, if we didn't win. Yeah. You know, but it was, it was a bravery in a sense of maybe not playing certain players, having a certain system. But as you said, it was wider than just a kind of one-off. It feels like it's, I dare to call it holistic, but it's, it has, as you said, it, has, it seems to have a widespread throughout the, the team. They seem to know what they're doing. So thank you. It's a really interesting example of how bravery can actually galvanise perhaps a, a team or even an organisation. And, and we'll, we'll hear about that actually a little bit more from Fiona in a, in a, in a short while. But w- one thing I wanted to ask you, was you talk in the book, and I like this example. If we if we go, because I think I think there's, there's at least two things I've, I've I've heard now. One is actually that you can have this, um, you know, choosing to be brave can have this moral courage of actually stepping out for the greater good, perhaps innovating, perhaps changing things, doing things which are perhaps pushing the envelope a little bit. And then you talk about in the book as well, and you've spoken today about the moral aspect. And I like that you brought in the example of the book, and I think the film, The Twelve Angry Men, where I think 11 say, you know, the guy's guilty, and one man sticks his hand up and says, no, he isn't guilty. And the film then unravels how he then actually shares his, his reasoning and how the decisions change. But I think, as you said, that's not an easy stance to take, is it? So what advice would you have to those listening around how can you be like that one angry man or one angry woman? And how can you actually um, exercise moral bravery in your organisation? Because I, I know from experience, it's not an easy thing to do. No, no, it isn't. It's a very tough t- thing to do. So you need a very good reason to do it. And I think there are two areas where I think people, leaders that I've worked with, draw upon to to generate that motivation to be brave. One actually links to another the habits in the model, the habit of consistency, because being consistent as a leader is linked to um, a values-driven leadership mm-hmm. style. And I think if you know what your values are, and if you sense that you're in a situation, for example, like that uh, 12 Angry Men, where there's, there's an individual there in a situation where they're about to compromise their values. Let, let's say that person had a value of honesty. 
and they're about to compromise that value by not speaking the truth of what they think. I think if you're very conscious about your values and you've made the decision to live by your values, then that can give you, that's one of the ingredients that can give you the motivation to be brave because, because you don't want to have your values trampled upon because you're recognizing that your values in the long run are critically important to your mm. reputation. The other, the other source, I think, of motivation to be brave, we talked about the mission, we talked about England wanting to win a major football tournament. So I think if you have a clear mission, a clear cause, we talked last time about the evangelized habit, you know, that you have that vision, um, you know what your why is, and you're, you're on a mission, you're, you're running the race, you can see what the prize looks like. And if you know that by not being brave, you're going to compromise that mission, um, I think that also is a source of great motivation. And of course, if you're doing that with another group of people who also share that mission, it's easier to be brave together. Mm. Uh, it's, it's much harder to be brave on your own. So I think values-based leadership, the mission, clarity of the mission, th these are the uh, sort of frameworks that can, can enhance your bravery if you make them explicit and important in your decision-making. Mm, thank you, John. And, and also what I really like in, in the chapters as well is how you, you do a, not a sort of deep dive where you look at really, you speak in the book about, you know, if your values are being trampled, there's a sense of this moral, um, you know, choosing to be brave. But then you also talk about, and I just wanted to bring this to the table because I think it's really important. It's, it's perhaps an, an area organisations may not reflect on too heavily, but you speak of the difference between felt anger and expressed anger. Mm -hmm. Could you share that? Because I just thought that was a great point when I read it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a, um, a concept that comes from a, 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 another researcher. Um, and, you know, the difference, we often think of anger stereotypically we think of it as a bad thing um, you shouldn't get angry no one wants to be the angry boss I think when we talk about anger in that way we're often talking about expressed anger or anger that's expressed in a certain way that that hurts or mm. violates other people but there is a felt anger there is a righteous anger that can be felt when your values are being compromised that spurs you to action and if you can channel that anger constructively, and I think many of the great sort of leaders, um, uh, you know, that we've known have found a way to channel their anger in a very constructive fashion over a period of time. And they convert. I mean, it's a very thin line, isn't it, between passion and anger? Mm. You know, so we want passionate leaders who, who are driven to pursue a cause. Um, we don't want that to tip over into reckless anger or indiscriminate anger. But I think anger is, 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 is much misunderstood and needs to be thought of a little bit more carefully in terms of sometimes that anger provides a drive, which is important in being brave. Um, it's then all about how you express it. So I think, as I say, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting conversation to, to have with leaders who have often been taught that anger is bad in all its mm -hmm. shapes and sizes. I'm not sure I, I agree with that. I think anger, felt anger, is a natural human emotion that exists for a reason. And, and I think part of it is to spur us to bravery and action. Mm. 
I'd agree with that, John. I know from my personal experience, I'm, I'm quite uh, gentle in the way I approach things and I work with groups. And I have known in times where I've had perhaps this felt anger and I've chosen to be brave and express it, but not in a way that hurts people. I've probably been concerned if I've gone too far, if I said too much, because I've spoken out of this from this place of felt anger. And what surprised me, John, is how people then said, David, in that moment, we really saw you, really felt you. We can tell how important this area is to you. And strangely, John, it connected them into me more deeply and me vice versa to them. So that's why I kind of mentioned this point, because I think it's a real it's a real important one. And I think in this particular chapter, there's some areas which are just, I think, just brilliantly, points that are brilliantly made. The other one that, that also touched me as well is you say, it's necessary to be scared in order to be brave. Yeah. That feels vulnerable, actually. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I say in the book about, you know, it's not about being fearless. Mm. Uh, it's about overcoming, not being paralyzed by fear. You know, it's about, if you if you don't feel scared how can yeah how can you be brave it's about not being paralyzed by that feeling of, of fear um you know the 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 book you know title susan jeffers book feel the fear and do it anyway you know so we're not we're not trying to create people here who don't feel scared because if you never feel scared you've probably got some 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 other issues as, <laughs> as a leader that, that that might you know might take you down a very different path. So we're not, because emotionally intelligent leaders will feel scared. Mm-hmm. If you never feel scared, you're probably missing, you know, a, a sort of a, 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 an emotional antennae of some sort. So it's about feeling that, um, being honest about that. And as you say, that that's that can be a place of vulnerability, but still having the capacity to act, mm-hmm. still having the capacity to respond um, and make decisions and act. Um, while still feeling um, that natural fear, you know, and, and I say that the world of power, that heroic leader, was fearless. You know, but it's a myth, David. We know it's a myth. We, there's never been a fearless leader. It's absolute nonsense. But we were, but we we sort of bought into that myth for many years. But I think more and more people now are, are waking up and saying, you know what, that that's a load of nonsense. You, you know, you you are just like me. You get scared. I get scared. They get scared. So let's talk about that honestly and let's work out how we don't get frozen by that fear, but we actually still uh, uh, have the capacity to, to act in that moment. Wonderful, wonderful. And uh, as I said to you, John, before, I often have a moment where I hear one of the audience saying, ask John this, ask John this. So the question I have coming through me is there may be leaders listening to this going, oh, this is a great conversation, I really really getting me thinking and feeling about this this area but one of their concerns maybe is that culturally culturally when we've when we've had people that have been morally brave and have chosen to speak up they are and i think it is a label i'm not think it's really helpful they are called whistleblowers mm. and we know from experience that quite often whistleblowers although they might turn out to have stood up for the right thing for the greater good are quite often vilified so the question coming through me is as a leader how can I help my organization become, choose to be morally brave without stepping over into being called whistleblowers and being, you know, being denigrated or, or not being treated with the respect that it deserves? Because I'm not sure we've got this right yet from a Western no. culture perspective. 
No, I think you know whistleblower is 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 power based language. It's language that comes from the the the, the era of of power based leadership. So it's a little bit of a hangover. I think that term. I don't think it, I don't think it's an appropriate phrase. I don't think we'll be using that phrase in five years time. I, I really don't um, because it has a stigma associated with it, which which is not helpful. Um, but I think um, you know, if if as a leader you want to encourage um, you know your people to be morally brave without using that terminology, I think it's it's a more subtle process of identifying and praising small acts of moral bravery uh, repeatedly over a period of time. So when you're in a meeting as a leader and you notice somebody um, speaking out um, based on their values, or, or you notice somebody. Uh, expressing some some felt anger about an issue because it compromises their principles um, or you know people are getting agitated because the company values a bit are, are in danger of being compromised then I think you as a leader that's the moment to highlight that behavior and pour attention and praise on it um, because when people witness that the leader says it's okay around here to be morally brave then you'll find that that permission granting Will will happen, and people will start to naturally have um, braver conversations. And you know, we use this phrase, don't we, a lot now about psychological safety. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and and the definition of psychological safety in a group is the is the the, the ability to engage in interpersonal risk taking, and and that's that's a lot about bravery. Mm-hmm. You know, so so psychologically safe environments, you will find that people are braver in those environments because the leaders of those environments are are, are keeping it safe for people to be to be brave, and and so I, I think that's the that's the sort of leadership that will create morally brave cultures over a period of time, and we're we're therefore looking to build that moral bravery positively rather than waiting for a whistleblower, in inverted commas. To, to identify the negative, you know, breaches of that situation, because then we're into a, you know, we're into a completely different um, cycle. Then, if if we wait for the whistleblower to, uh, you know, why, why do we need a whistleblower? Why why was it ever thought that the leader is not always the whistleblower? If we want to use that language, as I say, I don't I don't particularly like the language, but why would the leader ever have ever given the whistle to anybody else to blow? Isn't that their job? Mm-hmm. It is, isn't it, from a moral perspective to actually step in. And also, I think, from a moral perspective, to be open and listen to what people are saying. And I know in his research, in his book, Professor Jody Fry, with his spiritual leadership model, actually talks about the importance of people being understood and heard. And there's a big difference, I think we know this, John, around people being understood and heard, as opposed to actually being absolutely agreed with and that decision made on their basis. And I think. This, this aspect of having a culture which supports people being brave is something that's really just come out for me in this conversation as being really important and really quite transformational. So, gosh, I could go on, but thank you. We will we'll move on, actually, because I said those listening are probably getting a real sense of what the habit choosing to be brave is. And really the intricacies and I think the benefits it provides to an organisation However, they're also probably curious from a practical perspective, asking, well, how have executives actually used this leadership habit to make a real difference in their organisation? So as usual, I've recorded a short interview with Fiona Furman, who's the communications manager from NHL Group.
who've embedded the trusted executive model in their organization. So we're going to hear from her on how they've used the habit choosing to be brave. And I know, John, you haven't heard this before, so I look forward to hearing your response. Hi, so once again, I'm with Fiona Furman, the communications manager with NAHL Group, a group of consumer legal businesses, including National Accident Helpline. And as an organization, NAHL are using the trusted executive framework to empower the way they work and serve their customers. Now, today we're in the third pillar of trustworthiness, that of benevolence, the extent to which we walk our talk. And we move on to the eighth leadership habit, choosing to be brave. So Fiona, how have you used the eighth leadership habit, choosing to be brave, within your organisation to make a real difference in the world? Thanks. Yeah, it's been really interesting because um, in about 2015, a new branch of reforms came in um, regarding personal injury, which is very much one of the areas that that my company works in. And um, it was going to have a seismic impact on the the industry. And so our leaders sat down and they were like, what are we going to do about this? It's, you know, it's it's potentially, you know, really quite quite damaging for us. Um, Because as a claims management company, um, the the role of the business then was to um, kind of get claims in, triage them, and then pass them off onto a a panel of law firms. Um, And the, the, uh, the, the reforms that were coming in were going to have a huge impact on the number of claims that were likely to come in the amount of damages that people would be able to, to get as a result. Um, and so what happened then was in, in the interest of being incredibly brave, really, as, as I look back on it now, I think I think it's braver now than I perhaps did at the time. Um, we started the process of actually launching our own law firm. So um, mm. our own wholly owned law firm mm. um, to help manage some of some of these claims, which has been a, a fascinating um, experience, um, but also it's been uh, it's it's been really really successful. So um, it means that we have a whole different way of working, a whole different way of operating. The skills that we need in our business are, are very different. The way that we um, the way that we're regulated is different. We're now regulated by the uh, Solicitors Regulation Authority as opposed to the um, the Financial Services Authority as we were previously. So it's been a huge, huge change for us. Um, and the business really committed to that. And they did months and months and months of analysis and planning and looking at what the consumer journey was and looking at ways that we could make that better for the consumer. Mm. So are there any ways that we can streamline that that experience for them and reduce any um, any frustration they might feel about having to maybe tell their stories twice once to the person that they speak to in, in mm. our business and then again to, to the person they speak to at the solicitor's office. So um, just looking at all of these ways and that they we can um, support consumers in that way. And two years ago, just over, um, National Accident Law was launched um, as our, our wholly owned law firm. And it's gone fantastic, fantastically well. And, and we're, you know, we're launching, it, it's still growing, still developing, we've still got new ideas. We've, um, we've got um, what's called our one call process, which is taking everything from start, you know, from end to end within one phone call where possible and um, a digital process as well as we can do as much as possible online for, for some claims. So um, it's been a really, really hugely brave step. It would have been really easy for the business to go, well, we're not really sure what that's going to involve. So perhaps we'll just sit tight and see how it shakes out and see what happens. Um, but the business really just took this whole idea kind of by, by the horns and sat down and went, right, well, we need to make sure that we weather this particular storm. What's the best way that we can do that? And um, it's been a fascinating experience, but it's also just been um, been really, really successful. But, um, yeah, I think it was one of the, as I say, when I look back on it now, it feels braver even than it, it was, you know, at, at the time. I think when you're in it, you perhaps don't realise quite what a big thing your, your, your company is doing and, and is involved in after you look back and go, man, that was brave. 
<laughs> Digging a little deeper, what for you has been a personal insight or personal growth moment through using the choosing to be brave leadership habit? Yeah, I think I am a naturally quite cautious person. <laughs> so being brave is quite challenging for me. But I think um, when I have when I have used that, that habit and when I have been brave, I think what I perhaps didn't expect was that it would be so exciting. Mm. So um, it's not just about um, doing doing a brave thing and it being quite nerve-wracking and quite scary, but it's actually really exciting. You know, we're putting out into the deep, you're trying something completely different, you're doing something you haven't done before, you're approaching a situation that you wouldn't have dared approach previously. And all of these ideas um, that sound on the surface quite scary, when you actually start working with them and actually start start behaving in, in in that new and different way it's incredibly liberating it's incredibly exciting and uh, and when you and it, and it gets a bit like how I said with with the work example when you come away at the end of it and you think oh gosh that was brave but then you and you know you don't realize how brave it was at the time you were kind of wrapped up in the fact it was quite exciting and that it meant that something new was going to come out of it and I think I think that's part of it as well it's just that sense that um we create new things when we're brave new things happen so thank you, Fiona. I really appreciate your sharing and look forward to hearing you on the next Leadership Habit. No problem. Many thanks. Well, John, there was uh, Fiona with an example from her organisation of choosing to be brave. So I'm looking forward to hearing what, you, what, what your comments on that. Well, it's always great to hear Fiona talking about these habits. I loved it when she said, uh, looking back about setting up that law firm, she said, man, that was brave. <laughs> and and uh, as she said about that word excitement, you know, you could you could hear the excitement as Fiona talked about how they were brave. And, uh, you know, that is one of the upsides of being brave. And I, I didn't, I've never sort of thought about it as as, as clearly as, as as Fiona put it. But, but it's, isn't it exciting to be brave? You know, um, it's not dull. It's not, um, boring you know uh, when you're brave particularly if you're being brave in a team uh, man it's exciting so you know uh, that's that's an important benefit to uh, to remember but I also felt that Fiona's example about the law firm and then being brave mm -hmm. to set up national accident law it, it captured some of the things we talked about earlier David in as much that we live in a time of change and reform social reform I mean we have all the ESG environmental social governance issues now that PLCs like NAHL group are being increasingly scrutinized on and measured on by investors. So we live in a time of, of reform, governance reform, social reform, environmental reform. And therefore, in response to that, organizations are being prompted more and more to have to, to pioneer around those topics. And I think what we heard uh, about from Fiona was that National Accident Helpline chose to pioneer they, they didn't choose to sort of sit back and wait to be told to do something they, they made a proactive decision they knew that change was coming they thought it through and then they jumped and they were brave uh, and I think we're going to find more and more circumstances where board leaders are going to be in discussions where, where they'll be talking about climate change or they'll be talking about Black Lives Matter or they'll be talking about diversity and then they'll be saying are we brave enough to be the first people in our sector to do X. Um, and it will be really exciting to do X, but it will also be really risky. But the prize will go to those that are brave enough to pioneer and to anticipate what is coming in terms of these um, social, environmental and governance reforms.
I agree, and it did very much tie back to our, to our conversation about you know the innovative aspect of choosing to be brave, and and I'm not sure if you picked up what I what I heard from her as well, which because one of my passions is around customer service and services management, and of course they're choosing to be brave with this new organisation, and, and and but also what I heard as well was actually if I come back to choosing to be brave, you know, for the greater good, they were looking actually to make the customer experience a lot smoother. So deal everything else you said, I think, with a one handoff. So they weren't getting, sorry, with a one-stop shop. They weren't getting handed off. They were just telling their story once about the claim because they they, they, they have this legal organisation. So I really applaud that because I think, as you said, they put some deep thought around that. So they were choosing to be brave with intent of what does this actually mean for our customer? Now, of course, it's going to hopefully you know improve the business and more clients. But they they had this focus on what does it mean for the customer and the customer journey, which which I applaud. And I think that's part of maybe you know you, you mentioned Steve Jobs and Apple that actually thinking about what difference does this may make for those that we work with. Yeah, yeah, and trusting that that uh, putting the needs of those people uh, first and putting the the mission first, you know, will in the long run also deliver a great business in terms of revenue profit cash flow and all those other things that you know every business needs to take care of but you know what is the master and what is the slave you know is is the is is the is the driving force behind the company that that mission and that that sense of service um to stakeholders or is it you know the bottom line and the single bottom line and and you know that that leads every conversation so i think it's about you know, making making that bigger vision the master uh, um, rather than being led by those shorter term financial variables. Mm, absolutely, and one of the things that that I did speak to to, to Fiona about when, when when she said that was we've spoken about actually fear coming up with choosing to be brave, and she she, she spoke about how it can be be quite. Um, it can be exciting when you're choosing to be brave. So what I said to her is quite often there's this thing that I call that how something can be scary exciting. So it recognises the fear, but then actually says there's an excitement around it. And, and so that there's something in there, as you said, when she gave her personal reasons, you could actually see or feel, I think, the, the benefits for of choosing to be brave and choosing to see the benefits of doing that. So, um, so thank you for your, your comments on that. Now, we've already touched a little bit on this one, because the next question is, we know that the habits uh, work together. They don't just work in isolation. And I think you've said or already talked about choosing to be consistent, but just asking you, how does this habit, choosing to be brave, work alongside the other habits in the model? Yeah, I think um, I I, I plan to sort of leave this comment till, till now, but I happened to bring it in earlier about the habit of consistency and the habit of evangelize. I do think they are the habits that link very closely to this one. Consistency, because a lot of consistency is about knowing what your values are and making decisions on a consistent basis based on your personal values and your your company values. And I think that can be the source of um, uh, discipline when it comes to uh, being brave, um, that your values can prompt you to be brave. And equally, the evangelized habit, the mission can prompt you to be brave. Uh, if you're clear about the mission, if you've got that passion and that excitement about the mission, then it will be easier to be brave. Um, so I think those are the two habits that I think of first, David. That There is a habit also around the, the whole integrity pillar, being honest, being open, being humble, mm-hmm. I do think is important 
really um, for how you respond. You know, we, there's a question you, <laughs> I'm anticipating a little bit where we're going, because I know you always ask me the question about what to do when things go wrong. Yeah, um, we are going there, yes. <laughs> we are going there. So, so apologies for jumping the, the gun with that. But, uh, but if you get it wrong with being brave, it implies that you've been um, something of a moral uh, coward, I suppose, is, is, is maybe the, the most um, difficult word for us to contemplate. And if if you find that, and you know, we'll all have done that at certain points, whether it's on on big issues or small issues, we've, we'll have all have docked it at, at certain points and and avoided the difficult decision. And then there are consequences. You know, I, I, I like that quote from um, Robert Louis Stevenson. You know, sooner or later, we all sit down to a banquet of con- consequences. And and if we're not brave, sooner or later, we will sit down to a banquet of con- uh, of consequences. And those consequences are are likely not to be good. And I think, you know, that will happen. That will happen to every leader at some point. What do we do then? I think it is those habits, those integrity habits. Be honest, be open, be humble. It's really about saying sorry. Be honest, be open, be humble. Say sorry. I mean, that's that's really the only thing I think that's left if you if you if you if you find that you haven't been brave and, and that has been you've been held accountable for that lack of bravery. Uh, because something's gone wrong on your watch. And, you know, there is this moment when you your instinct is to defend and to justify. But if you want to use the habits, then that's also the moment to say sorry. Mm, yes, and I, I, I appreciate that. I'll also bring in here, John, as well, at this point, that, and this is a, this, this habit, choosing to be brave, is a real, it's a real deep one for me as we go through this, because it's, it, it's, um, it, it, it requires that, that popular word now, mindfulness or choosing or presence or insight or awareness, because in the book you give an example of really the, there's an element of conflict here in, in that you chose one thing over another. So in the example in the book, which I'll just ask you about, is, is you kept a, a personal confidence from someone shared, but it resulted in <laughs> not speaking up about a misdoing of, I think, one of the, the senior managers or directors. So there was a conflict there, wasn't there, John? I don't know if you want to speak about that between keeping that confidence, between choosing to be brave and, you know, what did that mean to you? Because it's, it's almost like you said, you know, you won't always get it right around this one. Mm. What was your learning from that? Yeah, I mean, it was a chastening experience that, that I had and I was held to account for it. You know, there was a consequence. Um, and I, it's interesting, I was reading the, the, this chapter of the book before, before the podcast, and I, and I read the bit where I, where I you know, talked about, you know, it's a lesson I've never forgotten. Mm. And then I put, the bravest call is the call that protects the integrity of the entire system, rather than the integrity of any one individual or group within that system. And when I read that, you know, and I've, obviously you write a book, you know, five years ago, you forget what, you, what, what you've written. And I read, that, I read that today, and I thought, yeah. The bravest call is the call that protects the integrity of the entire system. And as leaders, you know, we are guardians of the integrity of the system. Whatever the system is, it could be a family, it could be an organization, it could be a political party. But we are guardians of the integrity of the system. Uh, and that's, I think we have to hold that as our highest measure of moral bravery. Um, yes, you can protect the integrity of an individual or a subgroup within that system, which is what I did in this example. But I think I was right to be called to account to say, John, yeah, but in doing that, you compromise the integrity of the whole system. And if you think I then in the book talk about, you know, the, the big issues we've had with, um, you know, lack of integrity in the banking system, 
lack of integrity in sport because of drug taking. You know, we know that there are examples probably in those cases where people have protected individuals and protected uh, groups, but in the process, they've compromised the integrity of the, the whole sport, the whole sector, you know, and, and, and we have to, we, we as leaders, I think, have to, have to realise that, that that's, that's the highest uh, version of moral bravery is when you protect the system. And, and, and we will come back to talk about this later, David, when you talk about the, why this means so much to me at a personal level. Mm. Yes, thank you, John. It's, you know, the, these kind of real life examples of what it means, you know, choosing to be brave are really, are really resonating with me. And I won't go into my personal examples now, but thank you. I, I really do. I get this one. And they are, John, they are they're make or break moments for me around the integrity of the organization around sometimes are we going to go together either as a team as an organization as a business because there's something about these moments that they are and I, I like that word you know kairos moments that actually things can literally change on these moments so and I'm sure those listening will have their own examples of when they did or didn't do something and this isn't about you know blaming or shaming anyone but it is about I think realizing that we can have the ability to actually in the moment or perhaps even after the moment coming back to it the next day to respond in a way which as you said holds the the integrity of the whole system which I just think that's just a really powerful point in the podcast so thank you so we've shared lots of stuff and, and this is the point here i ask you that for the listeners out there how can they get further resources and hands-on experience of this habit choosing to be brave to try them out and they make a real difference for their organization yeah there's um, a lot of resources that we've gathered together um, on our website you know trustedexecutive.com and when we're gathering together resources for each habit uh, including this podcast you know so if there's any particular habit that you want to go deeper into, then um, the website has articles, blogs, you know, resources that videos that people can can access to look at. I mean, I think for this particular habit, being brave, um, you know, we've talked today about examples in our life, you know, where we we've, we've we've seen that bravery or we're seeing that bravery at the moment with the England football team. I do think that a great resource in, for this habit. Um, is is reading about inspiring examples mm. of people that did this you know there's a couple of examples that come to mind um for me you know people that have inspired me in a business one in a business setting and one in a political setting so that in the book i talk about the, st the story of john spedden lewis who was the the co-founder of the john lewis group back in 1864 and he co-founded it with his father and um, Sped and Lewis, the son, had this radical idea, this pioneering idea, this social reform idea that he was going to, he wanted to redistribute the profits to the staff. His father thought he was a communist and stopped speaking to him, banished him, rejected him. You know, incredibly hurtful sort of uh, thing to, to have happened. But, but Sped and Lewis was so inspired by his values and by his mission that that didn't stop him. He was that brave that he, he coped with the rejection by his father. And, of course, you know, his father died and John Lewis stores became the most trusted brand, you know, in, in the retail sector. So I think stories like that are just incredibly inspiring. You know, and Sped and Lewis, you know, he didn't do an MBA. He didn't do, uh, you know, he didn't um, read a book. You know, he just knew that, that, you know, in his guts that there was something there that he cared about. 
So that's one example from the world of business. And, and the, in the world of politics, I've just finished reading the, the book by Joe Biden called Promise Me Dad. And it's all about Joe Biden's year when his son um, had brain cancer and died from brain cancer whilst he was vice president of, of, the, of the United States. And when you read that book and you, and, you, and you sort of witness what he was putting up with at the time, what he was dealing with, and still doing that job, you know, in that, that one of the highest offices in the most powerful country in, uh, in the world. Again, it's just inspiring that, you know, people, there are people out there uh, making, being very, very brave from a moral perspective. And I think the more you can expose yourself to those stories, whether it's through biographies or films or you know whatever these things lift you up and i think they are also part of what can really give you an insight into how to be brave and and and, and why it matters yes absolutely and and those i work with we we quite often look at who they're and i call them you know they're their heroes or spiritual heroes are and what they can actually draw upon so you know so i would take you know someone such as martin luther king who kind of was choosing to be brave and standing up and when his other white you know preacher ministers were telling him to sit down and not take action it was the way then actually chose to be brave and we know what happened to him in the end you know he took it to the nth degree but choosing to be brave and doing it and it was also then you you spoke about integrity you know the integrity of the non-violent action the way actually conducted themselves the way they actually then stood up for what they believed in was incredibly uh, incredibly brave and, and a great way of doing it and maybe just finally on that i'm sure each organization for those listening has these sort of stories that within the organization mm. but perhaps aren't always given airspace to be heard so that might be an action someone listening to the podcast can do is actually well let's have a day let's just hear some of the stories where yeah. where people have chosen to be brave because as you said those inspire uh, others to do likewise and don't they i think that's a really good point david i think storytelling you know, inside an organization, storytelling around when people have been brave, when the organization has been brave, just like Fiona did mm. earlier today. I think that storytelling is, is really powerful. And, and you're right, you know, are we doing enough of that storytelling in, in our organizations to highlight and celebrate these moments of bravery? Mm, thank you. Now, we may have covered the bulk of this one because you're quite right. You said I'm going to jump to this one because there is a point where I ask you about, um, you know, that this habit choosing to be brave and what you do when choosing to be brave goes wrong. So is there anything else you want to add? Because we have touched on the, on this already. The only thing I want to add, David, on this one is, is, is an example, really, of when things go wrong. And I talked earlier about, about anger and felt anger. When I share this story, I will feel angry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is the story of, you know, the post office horizon system, you know, implemented in the year 2000 and 736 post office leaders are prosecuted, 39 of which went to jail because of being accused of, you know, t- taking money from the post office when act- in actual fact, it turns out that this is a system error and bog that was concealed for years and years and years. And that case is still ongoing. Uh, There has still been no one held accountable. No one has said, sorry. Am I angry about that when I read that story? Yes, I am. And I think every person in this country should be angry about what has been perpetrated there uh, in terms of 
cowardice, moral cowardice in terms of the lack of accountability, the lack of anybody getting up and standing up and saying, yeah, this was wrong. We're sorry. Um, and, you know, and, and, and they will, you know, they will find, you know, that quote that we said, you know, sooner or later, we all sit down to a banquet of consequences. Mm-hmm. Those consequences will come, but it should have taken much, much less than 20 years for us to get to the point where we're at with that particular breach um, of trust, um, you know, that, that has happened, as I say, in one of our major institutions in this country. And I think it brings, yeah, it, it tars us all in this country, that story. And, and uh, you know, as I say, as I, as I tell it, I feel that, that righteous anger that we talked about earlier, and it, and it gives me the passion to keep banging on about trust because, you know, these are people's lives that were completely ruined and wrecked because of a, you know, a lack of trustworthiness in, in leadership. And so that's, that's, that's what drives me to do this work is when, when you read case studies like that about what happens when things go wrong through a lack of bravery. Yes, that's so, John. And and I guess I totally agree with you on that because I did hear it on the radio the other day when some of those that have been vindicated in their innocence were speaking and it's incredulous that it can go on for such a long time because, of course, there were a number of people that knew what was happening in the situation yeah. and for whatever reason, you know, remained silent over it. Um, yeah. Where in this instance, and maybe this is one saying, actually choosing to be brave in this instance, you said, John, it actually saves people from going to jail. And, and yes, they might think, well, actually, I'm going to lose my job and lose that. But there's actually saying, well, how do you weigh that up against someone going to jail and, and actually knowing something about this? It, it brings the whole organisation in, into a sense of, can, you know, can I trust this organisation? And I don't know the ins and outs now of the post office, but it's going to, you know, take time to actually rebuild that, that trust. So, you know, that, so that's just given a really good example of, of why, you know, this is one of the habits of all of them are, is really important. Yeah. Now, talking of importance, we're getting to the point is now the question I really enjoy about why this habit matters to you. And this is really an invite to be brave and to, to dive a bit deeper. So, so, John, why does this habit personally matter to you? And as you know, there are two levels. So I am inviting you to be brave and explore both. Yeah. So I think the first level we talk about is, is more in terms of my own career and um, a, a business experience. And the second level is more my, to do with my spiritual faith. In, in terms of my business career, I mean, I start this um, chapter in the book with, a, with a, a prayer, actually. And it's interesting because, you know, the publisher of the book told me that I couldn't possibly put any Christian references into a business book. But I still managed to do it and sort of surreptitiously put in here at the beginning of this chapter, the serenity prayer, um, which is a prayer that reads... God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I think, I think in my business career as a leader, I've always felt that I've been grappling with that, that sort of tightrope of what are the things that, that, I, that I need to accept? Um, you know, we live in an imperfect world. Um, there are some things we just have to accept. But what are the things that I need to have the courage to change? Um, and then, you know, please give me the wisdom to know the difference. And I think if, if you know, in my, in my c- c- career, you know, um, that those three lines, you know, 
capture about 80% of the most difficult decisions that, you know, I will have made as a, as a leader. And, and um, you know, at what point do you accept? At what point do you challenge and have the courage? And, and, and where is the wisdom that allows you to, to make that choice? So, so that, that's the level at which it's been important to me as a business leader. I think then, you know, when we go on to talk about why is this important to me from a point of view of my spiritual faith as a, as a Christian, and, it, and it's interesting, I didn't plan this at all, um, David, but it came to me as we were, as we were talking about um, my uh, example and what I'd learned from it. And I, when I read that phrase, the bravest call of, is the call that protects the integrity of the entire system rather than the integrity of any one individual or group within that system. And I, and I talk about inspiring individuals. Um, and of course, Jesus, Jesus Christ, as an inspiring leader, is a man who went to the cross in order to protect the integrity of the entire system, rather than the integrity of any one individual or group within that system, including himself. So, so Jesus' words that, you know, he came to give his life as a ransom for many. So if, 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 you, were, if you were a Christian as I am, then the reason why the cross is so significant to you as a Christian is you, you see that as the moment of highest moral bravery um, that has ever been sort of witnessed that, you know, this man gave his life. And in doing that, he was doing it to protect the integrity of us. Now, we'd have to go into a lot of more deeper theological sort of explanation as to why that was what he was doing. But if you are a Christian, you basically look at Jesus Christ on the cross and you say, he did that for me and for us and for you and for us. And if he did that for me, then surely I need to do something for him. You know, it's, it's just like in the face of such moral bravery, what other responses that other than to trust that person and to follow that person? You know, so that that is a lot of the inspiration. Um, uh, that, that allows me to, to trust that uh, leader and to commit to the mission and the values of that way of living. So, you know, I hope that in a, in a hopefully in a sort of, um, in a fairly accessible way, just that helps bring that moral bravery into that con context of a spiritual leader and explain why some people find that incredibly inspiring. Mm, thank you, John. And actually, you, you've made me think of something which I haven't really thought about before. And that's, I think we can look at the Christian faith, we can probably look at any of the other faiths, including Buddhism. And of course, part of the reason we have the text, texts and, and our way of doing things and traditions is that people, I think, have actually recognized this integrity, this bravery, and have looked for, I want a better word, to codify it, to write it down, to capture it, because it's been so inspiring. And I think that's that's another thing, actually. This bravery, when it's, you said, to protect the whole system, is truly inspirational, in my view. And and it's not, as you said, you know, it's not for the weak-hearted. It does have fear. And as he was speaking, you know, as we shared before, I've had the privilege of going to um, the Holy Land and, and have been to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so we know before the cross, you know, it says Jesus wept. I mean, he kind of wept blood, and there was a lot of fear around that. And when you're there in the garden, you see what's supposed to be the rock there. You can almost get it. And it's surrounded by a, a black fence. 
you know, iron rails pointed fence, you get a sense of the fear and the frightening. But then I think the bravery that, that carried through that to actually know actually with an intent, now this is what I'm choosing to do. I'm choosing to be brave and this is what I'm choosing to do. And if that sort of passion, if you like, for the greater good, as you describe, can be translated in a way in an organisation that actually they're choosing to be brave for the greater good, then I just have this real deep feeling that actually then within the organisation, we, we spoke about stories, people get this. Because we spoke about stories, why, why you know, in the Christian faith, why is why are we so inspired by that? Because the stories that are there, that are captured in the Gospels, inspire us. Yeah, and yeah. I think you know, that's the element of that. And it comes back to the other thing we've always spoken about in this podcast is that <laughs> when we get to each of these habits, am I walking my talk? Am I doing what I'm saying? And here's an example here of Jesus. Well, I was saying that I'm truly walking his talk. He didn't kind of step out and go, "Oh, I've had enough now." It was <laughs> like, no, actually, this is what I'm I'm doing. And yeah. Yeah. and I think that is the. You know, that's quite often that's the inspiration that actually here's someone who who could, you know, from some Christian theological perspective, could have chosen to sidestep it, not go through with it. But he chose, this was the route that he was going to take. And it's um it's such incredible uh bravery. And we know what happened after that, the how that inspired future generations. Yeah, yeah. And to use that word that, that Fiona used earlier, how incredibly exciting. Yeah. <laughs> How incredibly exciting, you know, I mean, blimey, uh, you, you know, it, <clears throat> Fiona said that she looked back and uh, at setting up that law firm and she said, man, it was brave. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine looking back to that 2020 years to that story, um, you know, uh, of the cross and you look back on it and you go, wow, that's just so brave. It's mm. just, just, it just blows your mind. Um so, but anyway, you know, that's, 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 that's where we get, that's where we get. To, I know to bring this podcast through to almost a theological close, John, what just came to me is, you know, from the Christian faith perspective, because Jesus was demonstrating ultimate trust. He and was, I thought this before he saw God as the ultimate, yes. maybe trusted yes. executive in one way, yes. that actually placed his trust fully on, on the, on the table there and said, actually, I trust what's happening here is unfolding exactly how it should be, no matter how hard it is. Yeah. So that's a good close, that one. That was like... Yeah, yeah, nice one, David, yeah. (laughs) So, John, so actually that was almost a call to action almost. How can those listening discover or explore the nine habits of trust, maybe via a keynote or workshop program or newsletter. Um, and I know you call this an invitational model, that, you know, that you're quite clear that it's not something that's forced upon someone, but people are invited to actually adopt it to their organisational circumstances. So how can they get how can they get involved with it? Well, the Trusted Executive Foundation, you know, we're a not-for-profit um, consultancy that is here to create a new standard of leadership defined by trustworthiness. And, you know, if that is a pioneering mission that other leaders are excited about and, and, and are, are bravely wanting to implement in their cultures of their organisations and with their teams, then, you know, clearly we would love to help those people. And we, and, and we believe that, that, that this model, this academically verified model, is a formula and a roadmap to go on that journey. 
and, and so you know we'd be delighted to talk to to anyone who's, who's excited as we are about that possibility and uh, you know we talk about a journey of trust and we talk about phases in that journey and depending upon you know the ambition and the resources of of the organization you know we can help leaders go on that journey to whatever extent they would like to pursue it particularly using coaching and executive coaching and team coaching as the tool to help make these habits um, and the choices that come with them uh, more instinctive in, in an organization or in a team over a period of time so so yeah that, that would be i say we're delighted to uh, to engage with with anyone who's listening who, who who is as excited as we are about uh, these possibilities i'll come back to the excitement in just a second i was going to say how can people get in touch with you is an email or is the the website how can they get in touch with you more than happy for people to, to to reach out to me on linkedin i think it's probably the easiest way to reach out to me personally and, and as an organization um trustedexecutive.com is, is the website there's a contact form on that website so i think those are probably the easiest ways for for people to get in touch david that's great i shall put them in the link below now i can hear i can hear people saying to me david you and johnny just got so excited that you've actually missed out one of our favorite bits and that is so i'm going to before we close i'm going to go back to we know that as well as the trust executive book you've also published a book coaching poetry from a spiritual path and of course uh, as you said whatever your own religious beliefs these poems will challenge you to think deeply and inspire you to take the next step on your own spiritual path your own leadership path so before we close out, I'm going to invite you, John, around choosing to be brave, to share a poem from the book that has touched you in respect of choosing to be brave as a leadership habit. Yeah, well, it's interesting, Dave, because we almost forgot this, and I actually forgot to prepare for it. <laughs> thankfully, in my list of, of poems here, um, there is one called The Morally Brave, which ah. <laughs> which I think gives, gives us a clue as to... That's the one to go for. So it's, it's not a hard choice of which, which poem to, to read. So I'm going to read this poem, which is titled The Morally Brave. Thus decay, unrest and decadence provides fertile ground for new seeds. Nature's courage knows no bounds, brings forth from the famine a feast of untold delight, speaks to us with compelling truth, brings forth the meek who have waited long, those who hold the heart of the age. That which has no physical might or empirical proof, yet commands the lion and the lamb mm. as it reaches into their common soul. Lo, the meek will be the bravest when the flesh finally runs weak, for in them the spirit burns brightest. They carry that which does not know how to die, that which always prevails with timeless ease, the ark, the covenant, the grail, the blueprint of our higher consciousness. So now you of the highest moral ground, claim your inheritance, free us with your courage as the master frees the slave. Wonderful. It's one of those moments I take a deep breath on that. That's lovely. And um, I really liked that. I heard that thing of holding the heart of the age. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think about you know, leaders, execs, and, and members within the organization actually really 
striving to hold the heart of the age and to live that out in the world through their organization. So I think, John, that's actually, that's a fine close for our our podcast. I'm sure those listening may even want to go back and replay that poem and get hold of the book itself. I do put a reference to the book uh, below the podcast, Coaching Poetry from a Spiritual Path. And if you've been listening to these podcasts, it's a superb resource to, uh, to get hold of. So, John, thank you for stepping out into this business world with a real heart and a passion for supporting businesses to be the best way they can. And I don't know if you want to just say just a few closing words to those listening. As always, thank you for listening. If you if you got to the end of this one, that that's <laughs> great. Um, I hope that that poem was a little bit extra that you, you got for your patience and uh, persistence uh, today with us. So, and uh, I suppose it's always end with a, a note of encouragement. Um, if you if you want to be braver, then then start small. You know, practice, um, experiment. Uh, habits um, can be built you know that muscle can be built over a period of time you don't have to uh, go out and run the marathon tomorrow you can start with a you know a three mile jog so it's the same with with these habits that you can practice being brave uh, and practice in 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 those small ways and then gradually you will find that you will build the capacity to be to be braver and and braver so uh, you know just wish you well with uh, with that uh, that next step and thanks for listening today Mm, thank you john so actually the final habit habit number nine is choosing to be kind so until next time may you all have a wonderful day